Welcome, my friend Matthew Lilly. Matthew is, uh, he, he does a number of things. He's been involved in the prayer movement um, since he was a young man. He's serving on the leadership of Awaken the Dawn, which is, um, you know, a prayer movement that we really love and enjoy, focused on gathering people into tents to pray and fast. Most recently, they were part of the SEND in Kansas City and just had a really significant um, surge of prayer there, organizing tents on uh, Harry S. Truman's property and then part of the stadium event as well. Uh, Matthew and I have partnered together on a number of things. We've known each other for probably 10 or 12 years at this point and um, uh, really enjoy working with him whenever I get an opportunity. We've we've done some mentoring together of younger prayer leaders. And Matthew is also an author. He's written a book called uh, David's Tabernacle. I keep um, harassing him on when he's going to write another book so I can read it, but uh, we'll make sure to put a link. David's Tabernacle was definitely, I think it was my favorite book of last year. I think it's fair to say. And uh, we're going to put that in the chat so you can find that. Uh, but we're really excited to just hear what Matthew has to share with us today. Yeah, I just want to honor Jonathan Frizz as a friend and as a leader. Uh, we're becoming closer and closer, I feel like, over the years and, and just really enjoying each other and love 10 days and love uh, what you and uh, Grant and everybody are, are doing. And, and what an honor to be able to share with you guys um, today. We did just have an amazing time in Kansas City. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll give a give a quick testimony just because, praise God, <laughs> for all that he did. Uh, but we set up, like Jonathan said, on President Harry S. Truman's old farm, uh, which has just been sitting uh, vacant, uh, undeveloped for decades. And it was cleared. We set up six tents on the property. Uh, five of them were going with 24-7 worship and prayer all week uh, a few weeks ago. We had one tent that was for the east, central, and west part of the U.S. So those were three of the tents, east, central, and west. We had a global tent where we had worshipers and intercessors from around the world, worship sets in other languages. And then we had an Israel tent that was dedicated to around-the-clock worship and prayer for God's purposes uh, for Israel and the Jewish people. And, uh, and it was really a historic moment. Uh, I know you guys care deeply about God's purposes for Israel and the Jewish people. Harry S. Truman was considered a quote unquote political intercessor because he was one of the first ones to acknowledge the nation of Israel and, um, and God's word over that property was that it would be a place for God to raise up spiritual intercessors for his purposes for the nations and uh, for Israel. And so we were beginning to step into that in a small way and what a huge honor. The sixth tent, by the way, was a huge circus tent where we did massive gatherings where we had about 5,000 plus people in the evenings with worship and teaching times and prayer and ministry. It was amazing. And during the afternoons, while this 24-7 worship and prayers going on in the tents, there's about a thousand crazy young evangelists from like YWAM and uh, IHOP and Bethel and these, these ministries that are going out into the streets, uh, sharing the gospel with people, feeding the poor, taking care of yards. And there were probably four, four or 500 people got saved 
uh, on the streets and under the tents. There were a number of healings and, uh, and incredible things. So be encouraged today <laughs> by that. Uh, it's a huge honor to serve Awaken the Dawn and, uh, and that ministry. I'm here in uh, North Carolina uh, with my wife and four kids, and I serve Awaken the Dawn in sort of the broader prayer movement in a in number of ways. And then I'm involved with our local church here, uh, doing prayer and leading worship uh, as well here in uh, Greenville, North Carolina. Uh, as, I, as I prayed about the the time today, the Lord kept leading me to Ephesians chapter four. And so I'm going to dive into uh, Ephesians chapter four today. And, um, and I'm going to open up with some prayer. Lord, we love you. We honor you, Jesus. And, um, and we open our hearts to you, Holy Spirit, for whatever you'd like to uh, do in us and say to us today during this time, open up your word to our hearts. Uh, reveal truth to us, uh, give us understanding and wisdom, revelation and insight. We, we humbly submit ourselves to your word, and we want to be a part of uh, your plan and your purposes in this generation and uh, in your kingdom. And so lead us today, help me today, and I uh, pray that your word would just, just bear fruit and be released with power um, and, and help all of us to uh, understand and respond in obedience to you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk about uh, unity and maturity. I know that for 10 days, uh, one of the key values is unity in the body of Christ. And I believe Ephesians and Ephesians chapter 4 specifically give us some really, really important insights into what is needed in order to come into the unity and the maturity uh, that the Lord desires. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start by just giving a quick overview. If you guys haven't read through the book of Ephesians lately, I mean, Jonathan and I were talking about this a week or two ago. Uh, the book of Ephesians is just so rich. Uh, the, first, the first few chapters are just so full of revelation. And truth. And uh, if you haven't looked at Ephesians in a while, sort of the way it's set up is Paul takes chapters one through three and he dives into theology uh, and he brings revelation about who God is, what he's done, the gospel, who we are in light of what he's already done. It's, It's not practical in any in any way. It's just who God is, what he's doing, his big plan. It's big picture. It's epic. And then he, he, he lays that as the foundation for three chapters of what Christ has already done. God's, he calls it God's eternal purposes. I mean, it, this is like big picture stuff. And he takes three chapters and lays all this out. And it's not until chapter four that he gets into the practical things. But it's the same way in the book of Romans. If you've read through the book of Romans, the first 11 chapters of Romans are Paul just laying out beautifully uh, the gospel and God's eternal purposes and his plans uh, for Israel and the church and the nations and understanding sin and what Christ has done on the cross for us and his death and resurrection and all these, all these amazing truths. I, I've been in Ephesians here lately. And the first three chapters, the only thing I can find that we actually do is belief. That's all it says. It's all about what God is doing. 
what what Christ has already done and what he, what the Lord plans to do, who he is, and then what who we are in light of what he's just done for us sovereignly. And um, and I'm not a Calvinist personally, but it like Ephesians one through three makes you want to be a Calvinist because you just realize God is doing what God wants to do, <laughs> regardless of us. He is ultimately sovereign and he's going to work his plans uh, and his purposes out in the earth. And I do believe we have free will personally, but um, I do believe the Lord is working sovereignly to work his ultimate plans and purposes as well. Um, and so you see this beautiful theology, Ephesians 1 through 3. I'm just kind of giving you guys context here. Uh, Ephesians 1 through 3, beautiful theology, what God has already done. And then in Ephesians 4, he shifts from who we are, what we've already, what God's already done, his uh, eternal purposes, and he gets more practical. And how does the truth of who God is, what Christ has done for us, play out in our everyday lives? And it's the same way in Romans chapter 12, it shifts into our response and our responsibility uh, in light of who we are and uh, in light of who Christ is and what God has done for us. And that's what shifts in Ephesians chapter four. And it really begins to talk about that outworking uh, of relationships really is what it's talking about. And it's talking about our relationships in the church, which is what I want to get into today. But it also talks about our relationships in marriage, uh, parenting, uh, children, our relationship with our employers and employees, how we uh, you know, use our language and our words and our attitudes and the importance of all these things. Um, and so that's, that's what the sort of the second half of the book of Ephesians gets into. But I want to look specifically at Ephesians chapter four. So I'm just going to read some of this here, starting at verse um, Starting at verse one, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. Verse 9, in saying he ascended, what does it mean? But that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above the heavens, that he might fill all things. Verse 11, he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Uh, what an amazing passage. 
I think Paul is the king of run-on sentences <laughs> that can be challenging to understand, but beautiful and, and poetic and full of revelation as well. So Paul say, okay, in light of the first three chapters, what Christ has already done uh, through his death and resurrection, now I'm calling you to walk in a certain way, to walk in humility, to walk in gentleness, to walk in love, to walk in unity, to walk in peace with one another, because the truth is that we are we are one in Christ as his people. And then he gets to, uh, to verse 8, or excuse me, verse 7, but grace was given. And that's when I, where I really want to begin to dive in here is verse 7 of Ephesians chapter 4. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean? But that he also descended. So what it's saying is Jesus died, was buried in the ground. That was his, uh, he descended into the earth in his death. But he ascended after his resurrection. And when he ascended, he gave gifts to men. He, he ascended into heaven at his, after his resurrection, and he released gifts into the earth to us. And that's the gifts that he describes in verse 11, where it says, He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. Those are the gifts uh, that Paul's describing Jesus giving to the church. And uh, this is what I want to uh, begin to talk about today. These five what I call fivefold graces or fivefold gifts. And I don't know if you guys have studied these or this is new to you or uh, if this is something you're, you're already familiar with, but I thought the Lord highlighted this, uh, that we need to understand some of the different gifts and graces that are in the body of Christ. So in order to come to unity and maturity, I don't, I don't think that we will come into all that God has for us if we don't recognize the uniqueness of each person in the body of Christ, the unique leadership gifts that he gives some people and are willing to humble ourselves and receive from one another, uh, even those who are different than us. And that sounds beautiful as, oh, the body's going to work together and we've got all different gifts and we're going to flow in unity and we're going to glorify Christ through our unity. And that sounds fantastic, but the practical outworking of that uh, can be very challenging. And anyone who's ever worked with anybody else or especially tried to work in the context of unity uh, knows that that can be very challenging. Uh, but I believe that's what Jesus is inviting us into. And I think understanding these different gifts and there's other, there's other spiritual gifts from the Holy Spirit, like in 1 Corinthians 12 and in Romans 12. But all of these things, I think, we need to understand them so that when we see them active in our brothers and sisters, especially those that are different than us and gifted different and grace different than we are, we can recognize that that is a gift and that they are a gift from Christ, from God to us to help us grow and to help strengthen us in our weakness, help complement us, and that, that God's grace is going to come to us in a package and in a form and in a gift that is different than us and that we need one another and understanding the uniqueness of each of these helps us uh, to understand that so that we can come into that unity and the maturity uh, that God desires for us. And, uh, and until we're able to do that, unity is, is sort of a pipe dream. 
And, uh, and, and I think God's desire for unity is, is much more than just, uh, okay, we're going to have a, a moment and an event where we all come together and we bring our churches together for a prayer night and the pastors stand on stage together. And, and I think those are great. Uh, but I think there's something more going on uh, that Jesus is wanting to bring us into a greater expression of unity and maturity that I think Paul's talking about here. Uh, but understanding these five, uh, these fivefold ministries and graces, I believe, is uh, is part of understanding that we're going to need to come into the unity of uh, that Christ is is wanting to bring for us. So, well, just a second. I need something that where I can keep up with my time here. I'm going to lose track. Okay. All right. So the first thing to understand about apostle, prophet, pastor, teacher, evangelist is Jesus is all of these. Jesus is all five of these. These are facets of Christ's ministry. Jesus is described as an apostle, a prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher. And I don't have all the references here for you, um, but you can, you can easily find those where Jesus is doing all of these things. So what Jesus has done, he ascended to heaven and he said, it's better that I go and I'm going to send the Holy Spirit and he's going to help you. And now he's released to, to us uh, facets and dimensions of his ministry. But nobody gets all of it, right? None of us are uh, 100% like Jesus. We all carry dimensions of Jesus and his ministry uh, and his calling on the earth. And so it takes all of us to truly represent Christ uh, on the earth. So this is clear in Ephesians 7, grace was given to each one uh, according to the measure of Christ's gift. So it's Christ's gift. So each of these are facets of Christ's ministry. And the other thing, when we think about apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, evangelists, these different giftings, uh, that maybe this is different than how you've thought of it before, if you have thought of it, is that the people are the gifts. The people are the gifts. So this is different than if you look in 1 Corinthians 12, where Paul's describing the gifts of the Spirit. That so, so in that passage, we receive the Holy Spirit, we're empowered by the Holy Spirit with gifts uh, that are given to us. When it comes to these in Ephesians chapter 4, the gifts are the apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, evangelists. Jesus gives those people the grace. Um, and, and that's a, dif uh, a difference, by the way. In 1 Corinthians 12, sp the spiritual gifts are from the Holy Spirit. In Ephesians 4, these gifts are from Jesus. It said Jesus ascended and he gave the gifts. Uh, in 1 Corinthians 12, it's the Holy Spirit that distributes those gifts. And so there is a difference. And these fivefold gifts are given by Jesus, and the people are the gifts to the body of Christ. The, apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, and we are to receive them as gifts from Jesus uh, to us. Uh, he's going to release his grace, not only to these fivefold uh, people that operate in these fivefold ministries, but he releases his grace to the body of Christ through these people, which is why we have to receive them and receive one another, which is why we have to understand them, because if we don't understand them, we're going to, we might resist 
who they are and what they're bringing and what they're expressing when it's actually a dimension of who Jesus is. And it's a dimension of his heart and his ministry. Uh, so it's not the, uh, the uh, gift of prophecy in Ephesians chapter four, it is prophets. So that is the gift that's being released to the body of Christ. Uh, and again, that's different than the spiritual gifts from the Holy Spirit that are described um, in other places. So we don't need to just receive, you know, receive and operate in spiritual gifts from the Holy Spirit, but we also need to receive the people around us. We need to receive the uh, the leadership and the graces of apostle, prophet, pastor, and teacher. And I will um, I'll describe what those are here in, in just a few minutes. So verse 12 shows us that the primary purpose of these, of these giftings is actually to equip others. So sometimes you might think of apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, these leaders. Oh, man, they're going to be the ones on the stage, on the platform, on the Zoom call. <laughs> like they're the ones that get to you know, do the real ministry and everybody else kind of receives from them. But what it says in verse 12 is those five, those fivefold graces are given to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. So it's the entire body of Christ that God's desire is that we would all be ministers, that we would all operate in ministry. We would all be used by him to make disciples, to pray, to care for others, to, um, to evangelize, to do all the, all the work of the ministry, right? So we're all called to do the work of the ministry, but he gives these five to equip the church, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. So in other words, evangelists aren't just called to evangelize. They're called to equip the church to evangelize, right? Prophets aren't just supposed to be giving words all the time, but they're supposed to equip the church to hear the voice of God and speak the voice of God. And, uh, and that is how the church is going to be equipped and come into strength, come into the unity and the maturity uh, that, God, that God desires. And so the fivefold gifts are, are given in order to equip others, to equip the church. All right. Um, now, this is Matthew Lilly's take, so take it or leave it. <laughs> some, people, uh, some people look at Ephesians 4 and these fivefold gifts, and they say, Every Christian is one of these. You know, every Christian is either an evangelist, apostle, prophet, pastor, or teacher. Uh, and some people would say, no, those fivefold are just leaders that are equipping the rest of the church. Okay. Um, my awkward little graph here uh, allows you to take either position, and I don't care. <laughs> either way, I won't be offended. Um, I'll, I'll share what I believe. Uh, but uh, I, I don't believe everybody is one of those five, but I do believe um, that everybody has a certain lens of these five that they tend to view things through. Okay, so I have on the out, outer rim there, you have the fivefold gifts, capital, you know, evangelist, ap apostle, prophet, pastor, teacher. On the inside, uh, I would include all believers, all believers are called to be apostolic, prophetic, shepherding, evangelistic, didactic, which, you know, because I don't know the other word for teaching, but didactic meaning <laughs> uh, teacher-like. Uh, and so 
you know, in terms of the question of are all people one of these five, I don't know. But these, again, are the ministries of Jesus, right? So all of these reflect an aspect of who he is. All of us are going to be prone toward reflecting certain dimensions of Christ in a greater way because of uh, who he's made us to be and our personalities and, and et cetera. Uh, some, I do believe, are called in a unique way to equip the saints. And that's, to me, where why I draw the line there is just because, uh, you know, it's, it doesn't use the language of, you know, use your gifts to help each other like it does in First Corinthians 12. It specifically says, you know, that these five are to equip the saints. So there's the, the fivefold people and there's the saints people, you know. And to me, that's two different groups. And the fivefold people are equipping the saints for the work of ministry. But I even believe the saints are going to tend to every believer, I believe, every believer, I believe, <laughs> every believer, I think, will tend to be lean towards one of these in terms of their strength and um, in ministry. So I hope that makes sense. <laughs> um, is that, uh, you know, in other words, uh, you'll have some people that I believe are called to be evangelists in the Ephesians 4 equipping the saints kind of way. And again, they're not going to just be evangelistic because some people are evangelistic. They're going to tell people about Jesus. But I believe if a fivefold evangelist is going to be is going to be someone that's equipping others to evangelize, and uh, and and to me that's that's where the the distinction uh, is made there. So um, let me just give uh, a little bit more about these five because I haven't actually done that yet. <laughs> um, because some of you will have ideas about what some of these mean, and some of you, uh, some of the terms may be less familiar. Obviously, in the West, everybody's called a pastor. <laughs> so that's the, uh, you know, almost anybody that's in ministry or church leadership is labeled pastor. I know there's certain denominations and church streams that there's others that are embraced as well, but pastors by far the most common in. Western church in the, in the new Testament is actually the least common. Uh, and there's the least information about pastors in the new Testament. Uh, the one that has the most scripture about it in the new Testament is actually apostle. And that's the one that I would say is probably the least common, uh, in the Western Christian church at large. Um, and so, uh, here we go. Let's, let's go through these pastors. Pastors. Pastors uh, see through the lens of the church. I don't have that up here, but if you're taking notes, as some are, pastors, their lens is the church. They're thinking about the people of God. Pastors are shepherds. That's what um, the ESV that I read earlier, that translation actually says shepherds instead of pastors. Pastors are thinking they're people oriented and they're looking inward at the church. How do we care for people? take care of people, make sure things are healthy inside the church. The evangelist uh, is thinking outward. The evangelist is thinking about how do we get people saved? How do we draw people into the kingdom? How do we share the gospel, get outside the four, four walls? The evangelist is very outward facing, but they're also people oriented, but not towards the church, more towards the lost. So those two are more people oriented. You have the teacher 
the teacher is seeing through the lens of the scriptures. They're thinking, what does the Bible say? <laughs> That's what the teacher is always asking. Where is that in the Bible? What does the scripture say? Um, and, and so you can think of that downward. They're looking down at the word of God, but they care deeply about truth. That's the lens through which a teacher is going to see everything. Uh, a prophet, they see through the lens of the spirit. Okay, so they also care about truth, but rather than just saying, what does the scripture say? They're going to tend to go, what is the Holy Spirit speaking right now? What is being revealed by the Holy Spirit through his words, through a prophecy, through a dream, through a vision? So you can think of them looking upward, but they're still caring deeply about what's true, what's God saying. Teacher kind of looks down at the word, prophet kind of looks up at the spirit. Uh, and, and I'm not saying that any of these people don't care about the other ones. This is just their point of emphasis, the lens through which they tend to view things, uh, their priority, that kind of thing. Uh, an apostle, uh, they see through the lens of the kingdom. They see through the lens of the kingdom. And so uh, they're concerned about structure, not necessarily truth or people. They're thinking about the structure and the strength of the church, the advancement of the kingdom of God. So if, you know, pastors looking inward and evangelists is looking outward, teachers looking downward, prophets looking upward, then the apostle is looking onward. Uh, and they're going, let's see the kingdom advancing. Let's see the things built and moved forward, pioneered, strengthened, uh, and brought to maturity. That's what an apostle um, is thinking about. So, and again, God's desire is that the entire body of Christ would be pastoral, evangelistic, didactic, prophetic, and apostolic. And so each of, but God gives these gifts um, in, a, in this Ephesians 4 way uh, in order to equip us to be that way, which means we have to receive people that see through a different lens than us. And that is very hard. <laughs> it sounds great on a zoom call, but when the rubber meets the road, when, if you see through a certain lens, uh, especially people that see very strongly through that lens, uh, working together with, uh, somebody that sees through that different lens, uh, can be very hard. And, uh, and so what a lot of times happens is, uh, you know, one of these leaders will lead a church and people that, you know, all the prophetic oriented lens people will gather together with the prophet somewhere <laughs> and they'll have the prophetic church and then you'll have the evangelistic church, you know, and, uh, and, you know, I think the God's desire is that we would learn to work together, learn to receive from one another. Uh, and I understand why certain people group together in congregations for certain ways, but I do believe that the Lord is asking us to come into maturity to be in communities where we rub up against each other <laughs> and people see things different than us and, and iron shop sharpens iron and all that kind of thing. And, uh, and, and, and that can be very uh, challenging, but it glorifies Jesus. It's what he desires. And it's the only way we can actually be all that God wants us to be. So some people, uh, and I don't think you guys are those people, but some people will say that, oh, there's not apostles or prophets anymore. Those are usually the two that people reference because of Ephesians chapter two, verse 20. 
that the church is built on Jesus as a cornerstone and the foundation of apostles and prophets. They'll say, oh, there's no more apostles and prophets nowadays. Uh, but what, the, what Ephesians 4 says is that, that these fivefold will equip the church for the work of the ministry until, is what it says, until we all attain to the unity of faith and to mature manhood. So that has not happened, obviously. Uh, we have not come into maturity and unity that God desires. So the fivefold ministries are still in operation today. Uh, we still need apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, evangelists. We need to receive from them so that we can uh, come into uh, maturity and all that God desires. Uh, you know, I, I think 10 days dream of, of John 17 unity. I know Jonathan cares deeply about John 17 unity and that prayer that Jesus prayed that we would be one, you know, as the father, son are one. And there's many dimensions to that oneness, but surely part of that oneness is we have to learn to receive from people that are different than us. We have to learn to work together with people that look through a different lens than us um, so that we can be equipped. Uh, I'm personally, I'm not very evangelistic by nature. I'm just not, I don't, I'm not, a, I'm not an extrovert. I don't, I don't get a lot of like excitement over meeting new people all the time or striking up conversations. <laughs> That's just not me. I'd rather go deep with people that I'm close to. Um, but the, you know, I need an evangelist in my life. that just kind of like bugs me. You know what I mean? And <laughs> just kind of provokes me and like, I kind of don't like it and they kind of annoy me and I probably annoyed them, but like, that's really good. You know what I mean? Um, and, uh, and thankfully I'm a part of a local church where they rotate who speaks on Sunday mornings, you know, to try to get some of that flavor of the fivefold. And, you know, when the evangelist gets up to speak, I'm always like, ah, <laughs> this is not my favorite. Um, but I like, I re also realized, man, I need it. You know what I mean? And, uh, and it's good and it's healthy. Um, and, it, and it's strong uh, for me. So, um, yeah, I think, you know, speaking of coming into maturity uh, and mature and unity, I think this plays out individually and corporately. Um, like I've said, you know, we personally need to need to figure this out. I mean, you know, if you're married, a lot of times God in his grace and love for you will partner you with somebody that's quite different than you. <laughs> and uh, part of the reason for that is so that you have to, uh, you can be straight to each other. You can compliment each other. And, uh, and so my wife is, is more of a prophetic person. And, uh, and, you know, that used to be a challenge for us <laughs> at times until we learned to, uh, until we learned to appreciate one another. Uh, and learned, oh, you are a gift to me and I'm a gift to you. <laughs> uh, you know, I don't like it because I don't see the same things you see, but you can help me see uh, what I don't see. And, and that's, uh, that's amazing and actually a gift from God. And, uh, and so we have to be humble uh, in order to, to embrace that. And then, you know, this plays out on a corporate uh, scale as well. If any of you are leaders, you know, or pastors of churches or ministries, you know, this happens. Uh, this happens when we try to work together as the body of Christ. I mean, this, the event I was talking about earlier that happened in Kansas City, you know, we had Awaken the Dawn, our ministry, 
we were setting up tents. We were working with IHOP International House of Prayer in Kansas City because they owned the property and they were helping us. And we were also working with the Send because they were doing the big stadium gathering in Arrowhead Stadium on Saturday. They were recruiting all the evangelists. Uh, and, and it was a beautiful partnership of very of different ministries, some different values, some different cultures and personalities. And I wasn't in the high level meetings with some of the leadership, but I was close enough to it to just know that it wasn't all easy. Right. It was beautiful. Uh, and we fought for unity uh, and we all tried to humble ourselves and put others before us and, and recognize what each person brings, each group brought to the table. Uh, but the collaboration like was a challenge, <laughs> you know, if unity was easy, everybody would be doing it right, but it's not easy. And, uh, and, and it requires us to humble ourselves and, and uh, over and over and over again, uh, to forgive one another, right. And to, and to learn from one another. So, uh, but that's, that's the purpose of these fivefold graces and Jesus has given them. Uh, as gifts to us uh, in the body of Christ. So, Judge, I just wanted to, to show a couple of fun pictures and talk, talk a little bit more. Uh, a lot could be said about this. Books have been written about it, of course, but um, I, I got some fun pictures that I thought could represent some of these fivefold uh, giftings here that I thought would be fun. Uh, you guys can put in the chat. Can you tell, can you tell which one this one is of the five? I'm looking at the chat, see if anybody can, can guess. Apostle, prophet, pastor, teacher, evangelist. There you go. Pastor. <laughs> Obviously, carrying the shepherd carrying the sheep. Um, I, I found this picture and I thought it was perfect because, you know, the guy looks tired, <laughs> but looks like he's happy to be helping the sheep, right? Um, and so, again, pastors care for people, usually in a long-term way. Uh, they're very concerned with mental, emotional, spiritual health. Uh, pastors are going to be asking, how's your marriage? How's your family life? How are your relationships? You know, those kinds of things. Um, you know, they have that heart of a shepherd to care for people. They're going to be thinking about small groups and counseling and inner healing and marriage and, and, uh, and many, many of those kinds of things. Um, you know, shepherds are great at creating a family feel helping people to feel loved and welcomed and accepted, those kinds of things. Um, if, if shepherds aren't coupled with some of the other graces, though, uh, it's not healthy because shepherds can care so much about people that they can burn out <laughs> because they're just constantly responding to people's needs. Uh, people that are very pastoral um, have to learn how to not be enabling because they want to just care and help people all the time, but sometimes they've got it. They don't necessarily want to bring the hard truth. Sometimes <laughs> that's required. Um, and, uh, and so people, you know, because shepherds are so focused on the church, um, sometimes evangelists can get, um, can get aggravated because they're going, well, yeah, but what about outside the four walls, you know, and, uh, and that kind of thing, but shepherds are so valuable and they impart love and care and health for the body of Christ. If you're around a shepherd, you'll feel loved and cared for. But you'll also want to start loving and caring for other people to um, a true shepherd. And so they're, they're an amazing gift that, that God's given us. So uh, let's see. 
oh, here we go. This one's obvious. <laughs> uh, an evangelist, right? This is where an evangelist feels most at home. Again, the pastor's inward. The evangelist is outward. They're, they want to get out among the people, among people that are not just church people. They want to share, uh, share the gospel, reach the lost. Um, so, by the way, uh, any of these fivefold could actually be leading churches and starting churches. I should have said this earlier, but a lot of times people have titles in their organizations or ministries that don't actually reflect the fivefold grace on their life. And, and, and I'm okay with that. But like an evangelist, for instance, you might have an outreach pastor might be their title of a church, but he might, might actually be an evangelist, you know, according to, according to scripture. And, um, and so that's okay. You can have somebody that starts a church that maybe their primary grace is actually to be an evangelist. And those kind of people can build, actually build big churches <laughs> because they can attract a lot of people. And some of the largest churches I think in America are actually led by evangelists uh, who, you know, their primary goal is how do we get unbelievers brought in? How do we get people saved? Every Sunday is the gospel. <laughs> every, every sermon's, you know, an invitation. It's all focused on, you know, they're leading churches, but they're actually more focused on the lost than they are like uh, the church in many ways. And so um, evangelists are, um, are so needed because Jesus came to seek and to save the lost and he loves the world. He loves people. He loves the hurting and the broken, those that are far from him. And so we need evangelists um, to give us a zeal for the loss and compassion for those who are, who are far from Jesus. All right. This one, this one should be pretty obvious too. This is the teacher, right? Uh, looking downward. Uh, favorite position is Bible open, taking notes, drawing outlines, making connections, getting revelation, probably studying the Greek and Hebrew, <laughs> um, listening to podcasts and, and opening their Bible commentaries. Um, but teachers uh, focus on scripture and help bring clarity. And they can also bring simplicity. A good teacher can take complicated things and make it simple and help us to understand Teachers help us avoid heresy and bad doctrine and bad ideas and unbiblical things, which give us a wrong idea about who God is or what he's trying to do. And, um, and so teachers, you know, they could be pastors as well. If so, their church is going to be heavy on Bible. Um, sometimes they end up in seminaries or they're leading Bible studies or small groups or schools or whatever. Um, writing, you know, a lot of times writing. Uh, recording books and, and that kind of th thing. So that's the, that's the teaching grace, very focused on Bible. We need teachers. I, I'm personally involved in in like more of the charismatic stream of the church, and uh, we need more teachers <laughs> in the in the charismatic uh, stream of the church. So, all right, I thought this one was random but appropriate <laughs> for for how I how I view the, the mind of a prophet, <laughs> which is symbolic up in the sky, lots going on, rivers flowing out, breaking out of the, you know, the boundaries there, uh, visionary. Prophets are focused on what is God saying right now? What is the Holy Spirit speaking in this moment? They need a word from God. 
they want to share a word from God. They want other people to get words from God and to share words from God. Um, they care about what's right, what's wrong, what's true. Uh, prophets tend to care a lot about justice and be very bothered by injustice. They'll, they'll make strong statements, um, even sometimes uh, use hyperbole to make their point across um, where they where the, they'll speak strongly and even with exaggeration. So if a prophet starts a church, it's going to probably stay small, but there will probably be a strong presence of God, strong move of the spirit. The gifts of the spirit will be going on. You'll have people with the flags and, the, you know, they're going to be giving prophetic words and, and that kind of thing. Um, you know, and so all that swirly kind of spirit activity is going to be going on. But if the prophet doesn't have some of the other graces, then uh, it can get uh, it can get very weird. And um, yeah, and so <laughs> John thought that was funny. I mean, I'm I'm again. My wife is more prophetic than I am, so I I uh, I receive greatly from prophetic people who help sharpen uh, who help sharpen me and keep me, you know. Uh, tuned to the things of the spirit and 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 I, I appreciate that so um you know pro- prophets need the teachers right so keep them keep you grounded in the word of god and, and uh need evangelists so that so you can remember to care about the loss and that kind of thing so uh, prophetic people are very important um prophets are very important and you know the uh, they're still not totally accepted, but the, but they're becoming more and more accepted. They have a unique relationship with apostles. Um, so prophetic people and apostolic people especially need each other because the apostles are going to be building, pioneering, which we'll talk about here in a second. Uh, and they need prophetic insight and revelation to guide what they're doing. All right. Last one here. I thought this one was a great, uh, great graphic to describe the apostle. The apostle is a pioneer. Uh, it's actually got more in the New Testament than any of the other five. So I could, you know, again, entire books have been written just on what it means to be an apostle uh, and what apostolic ministry means. But the word apostle means sent one. So apostles are sent by God. Uh, they bring new expressions of the kingdom and they pioneer the kingdom in new places. So they they tend to be pioneering, reforming, reforming and building. Um, the kingdom of God. And so you see Paul and Peter as two of the, the, the clear examples of this. Paul was a pioneer into new places. He took the gospel in new territories, started churches. Uh, Peter was also an apostle, but he was a reformer. He was called to the Jews, his own people, and he brought fresh revelation and truth and brought them into sort of the new day of what God was doing. Uh, and both, both, was, both were considered apostles doing apostolic ministry. But uh, apostles tend to start churches and ministries. Um, they usually usually have a lot of um, trial along the way for that journey um, that can be uh, very uh, painful and challenging at times. Um, apostles are more multifaceted than the other other four, um, and they can help all five work together in unique ways. So somebody that's apostolic, they're thinking big picture, they're thinking kingdom. Uh, an apostle isn't usually going to just think about one local church. They're going to tend to think about what is happening in a city, in a region, in a nation. How can we get churches to work together? How can we network things together? 
you know, they're going to, they're, they're thinking big picture kingdom transformation, not just how can I have my local group, you know, work well. Um, and so, although sometimes apostles do lead local churches, but they're going to always be thinking bigger than just that local church in their, in their ministry. And so um, apostles are pretty driven, as you can see here by, by the photo. Um, and they need the other, they need the other ministries. They need the prophetic insight of the prophets. They need um, the evangelistic zeal. Um, they need uh, the, the pastoral to kind of slow them down and say, Hey, let's make sure we're not leaving people in the wake of our pioneering that we're caring for people. Um, they need the teachers to help them stay grounded in truth and that kind of thing. So the fivefold all need each other and we need to receive all five of these. And whether somebody comes uh, as a leader to equip us in these things, or even just our brothers and sisters who tend to lean towards one of these and have a lens of one of these kinds of ministries, um, we need to uh, open our hearts to um, to the fact that God wants to release his grace to us uh, through these five so that we can come into unity and maturity. So,